Looking for that boom in U.S. factory production? It's not going to happen without the help of artificial intelligence. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief, Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Global manufacturing is undergoing a dramatic shift right now as producers cast about for low-cost and convenient alternatives to China and other traditional sources of cheap goods. For American companies, the biggest hope is to be able to make a go out of domestic manufacturing, the so-called reshoring of production that was lost to offshore entities many years ago. But obstacles remain, especially in the form of relatively high U.S. labor costs and questions about the quality and availability of infrastructure. My guest today is Artem Krupanev, VP of Strategy with Augury. The resurgence of American manufacturing prowess is possible, he says, but it's going to take the application of cutting-edge AI to make it happen. We'll talk about the coming boom in industry, where AI and other types of new technology fit into the picture, and what it all means for human labor. We'll also discuss whether regulation threatens to slow the progress of generative AI. Here's my conversation with Artem Krupanev. Artem Krupanev, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being with me. Now, I understand, Artem, that your thesis here is that the U.S. factory boom and the industrial AI or artificial intelligence boom need to happen at the same time. Is that indeed what you're saying? And if so, why? Absolutely. I think that the boom in AI and technologies around AI, like IoT and obviously cloud computing, they have to happen as a prerequisite for a real boom in factories in the West. And the main reason for that is, well, there are a few reasons, but one of those, uh, the main reasons is that we just today lack the labor, the people, the workforce to be able to properly run the types of factories and also the number of factories that we need in order to really you know, truly bring manufacturing to scale or back to scale in Western nations. Mm-hmm. The cost of labor resources is very high compared to what we're competing with in a lot of other countries. But also when you speak about the skill set, a lot of people who have manufacturing knowledge and know-how kind of traditionally have been the backbone of both the workforce and also the engineering and the management that's required to operate factories and companies that manufacture things. We have a big scarcity of that type of labor, those types of people. A lot of them are retiring. And so as, as they retire and that whole generation retires, we're going to see less and less know-how and institutional knowledge. One mm. of our customers in the manufacturing space told me recently that every year they have about 8% of their workforce that's retiring, but they're taking with them about 20% of their institutional knowledge. So that scarcity and the cost of labor are clear economic factors for doing something differently within the manufacturing space as it, it, it starts scaling. And the answer to that is technology, but not just technology that can, in a traditional sense, automate production. We need to make production more autonomous. 
which means making it more intelligent. You're talking then about more than just AI software. It sounds like you're talking about a whole technology universe that has to be introduced simultaneously in terms of both the AI and the hardware and the robots and the automation. Is that all come as a single package? Is that all part of what you call the AI boom? Yes, I think that ultimately you have to have all those things in place, but I don't think that everything needs to be introduced at once because a lot of the prerequisites already exist. So we have a lot of software already in manufacturing. We have a lot of data in manufacturing already. Most of manufacturing, to some extent, has already moved to the cloud, some version of kind of centralized and cloud-based computing. We have a lot of sensors and a lot of IoT devices already implemented in manufacturing. Now, we're going to need a lot more to really enable the kind of scale that we're looking at. But in some cases, in some parts of manufacturing, we actually have the opposite problem, where we have too much data, and it's just humanly impossible to make sense of it or to drive mm -hmm. the right insights. And that's really fertile ground for AI applications. I guess it comes in in terms of analyzing a mass of data that no person could possibly do. But then again, it outputs conclusions that we may not understand how the AI reached those conclusions. Is that an issue? Not always. I mean, what you're talking about is an aspect of AI that's called explainability, right? Can we explain how to reach those conclusions? That's not always necessary. Most people don't know exactly how every component of a, of a car works and yet they're able to drive to work every day. I don't think that's necessarily a big issue. And that kind of takes me to not just anxieties in adopting AI, but, but also thinking about what are the best applications for AI? What's the environment where AI can really thrive? And one aspect of that, yes, we need a lot of data. AI likes or AI technologies like a lot of data. The other piece of that, a lot of computing power, and the cloud provides that. But the third piece that's, I would say, even more important is what are the right use cases that are solving for with these insights that we derive from AI? And that needs to be very tangible. That also needs to be not just science experiments, but things that can really scale. And then we can implement as part and parcel of kind of the natural production environment. Today, uh, some of those use cases are very clear and highly scalable. Use cases that Augury drives, for instance, are machine health and process health, which is predictive maintenance, in essence, which is today the number one use case for AI applications and manufacturing. And a close second is process health, which is process optimization. And those are two problems that certain AI technologies are specifically great at solving for. One is, can you classify and analyze and understand what are the root causes of machine failure, predict them, and then fix them right ahead of time, you know, or give people instructions on how to fix them. That's machine health and process health side. Given all the different parameters you have in your production line, your process, and if you want to optimize, let's say, for quality or for yield or throughput, how do you create the optimal settings and the optimal parameters, the optimal center line to optimize for the objectives that you have? That's an optimization problem. AI is particularly good at solving these types of problems, too. Well, let's talk about this whole idea of use cases. I mean, to what extent do the use cases have to be there before you can jump in and make a larger commitment to this technology? Or to what extent do you anticipate the use cases will arise from the application of the technology? Kind of a chicken and egg situation here, it seems. Yeah, but I think we're already quite ahead. So, so we're not looking at a completely blank slate. As I mentioned, if you start with machine health, predicted maintenance, process optimization, there are a few others that are very relevant and, uh, and to some extent already widely adopted. Use cases around supply chain optimization, scheduling and planning. That's another problem where AI is quite good at solving. 
and some others that include energy optimization, sustainability use cases, and also safety and compliance. For instance, mm-hmm. analysis of videos of how workers are behaving to avoid safety incidents. Just starting with predictive maintenance use case, process optimization use case takes us very far ahead in terms of understanding the value, the benefits, time to value, and adoption. At this point of kind of technological evolution, AI is already not a blank slate. The majority of our customers and the larger manufacturers are implemented or have implemented an AI-based technology somehow for a number of years. I think now, right now, it comes down to the selection of the right partners and vendors. Can that partner not just provide the technology, but also the service and the adoption and the type of scale that an enterprise requires in order to just make that a natural part of your manufacturing environment. And because of the complexity of operations within a factory, that's going to be inevitably going to be multiple partners and vendors, is it not? And does that not yeah. create a situation of integrating them all, controlling them all, overseeing them all? That must be a big challenge. Yes. So for some, let's take an example. If you're implementing machine health pedagogy, that's an AI-driven use case that is proven to work, has scaled across hundreds of factories. So uh, you can kind of rest assured that most likely it will work very well for you as a large manufacturing organization. But then there are other use cases. Let's take a use case around safety. You'll probably need a different vendor provider. What's great about companies that like Augury that have built their solutions as a service, you don't have to buy the hardware or own the software or have the people who are specifically in charge of its servicing implementation. You just buy the whole thing as a service. And now you need to get different solutions for different use cases, but it's a lot easier. And the risk of implementing them, trying them and scaling them is a lot lower, right? So I mm-hmm. think that, that mindset needs to kind of shift within the manufacturing enterprise saying, I don't have to own all of these technologies or even build them out. I just have to have a really good selection process for vendors and partners, really understand how I should evaluate them. And then the risk of implementing them is actually quite low. And what you end up with is a network of solutions that are mostly cloud-based, that are mostly as a service, that is actually a lot easier to manage than kind of an in-house traditional architecture. So far, Artem, the systems that we've been talking about seem to mostly be focused on, say, within the four walls of a factory. And yet, as we know, a factory is not a standalone, discrete thing. It's part of a larger supply chain. It has to communicate upstream with raw materials providers and component providers, has to communicate downstream with distribution centers and shippers and customers. So what's the challenge of making all this work with all of the outside systems, too? Are there integration issues there, especially when it comes to AI and all the cutting-edge technology. I think the roadmap to successfully implementing and scaling AI within the manufacturing enterprise, it really it starts with the use cases and starts, are, are you kind of solving for some of the bigger ones and can you scale them? Can you replicate them within a factory or across multiple factories? So that that's one part. Then you need to think about, well, should you connect between those use cases? Right? Should you connect your process optimization, for instance, use case and improvement to the way you schedule and the way you optimize your whole supply chain? 
And that, that's a natural question, right? And it always comes up. I think for most customers, that is and should be part of the vision, part of the roadmap. But you should also treat those use cases distinctly and optimize them dis- distinctly in parallel, right? A lot of our customers or I see a lot of companies kind of take a full top-down approach and say, we have to do the whole thing. Take all the data, get all the insights, connect everything. And only then can we actually start achieving this vision of AI optimization. I think that's a misguided approach. And I think that in in some cases, connecting between the use cases and getting a bigger, wider picture view will only come after you have been able to replicate and scale some of these individual uh, use cases. The, the problems there, and when you start scaling, you're connecting between different factories and kind of looking at a wider, bigger picture, then yes, you will have to address some of the issues and gaps with data. You'll have to address the gaps with security. You'll have to think about uh, what are you actually looking for in a way that is scalable and replicable. Along with all the excitement about AI, especially in the last year or so, has come deep concerns about the implications of unchecked AI and the dangers of it. Are you at all concerned that any potential curbs on AI development might slow down the type of innovation that we're talking here that's necessary for this U.S. factory boom? When we talk about AI, I think it's not just one thing or one technology. Technology and its applications, they have to be regulated, and regulation usually comes with a deeper understanding of what are the pitfalls and what are the benefits. And you can only really get to a deeper understanding if you start implementing to some extent. I think that misguided regulation would be something that uh, does not have a deep understanding of what the real benefits are and how it's used and so forth and would potentially curb some potential benefits in in the future. But I'm not worried about within the current state of the discourse about AI regulation. So that's more of a general statement. The more specific statement would be AI manufacturing, really I would categorize the problems that it addresses into three different categories. The first one is classification problems. So can you match the specific machine fault to a specific vibration signature and so forth? So, And AI is really good at that type of classification. Another one is optimization, as I mentioned. A third one, which is now a lot more possible with the developments with generative AI, is a generation problem. Well, can you on the fly generate work instructions to address something? Can you take in all the knowledge that we have within the organization, the institution, kind of mine it properly and come up with an answer to a problem that only an expert with 20 years of engineering experience would really come up in a similar way? So taking into account the language and kind of becoming more natural in terms of how we talk and discuss these uh, problems within manufacturing, within the enterprise, across the different plants. I think that part is incredibly exciting because that takes the solutions that AI can provide, not just into the world of the physical and the certain or the mathematical, but also into the world of creative and more human and understanding the business side as well as understanding the engineering and production side. Tying those worlds together is going to be important and I think critical for widespread adoption and benefits of AI that we have. And so regulation as it stands today, I don't think we're on the path of actually curbing that in any way. But I do think that there are real concerns that we should address around the reliability of this technology, the 
security of this technology, especially when it comes to industry and manufacturing, where things do have to be reliable, there are safety concerns, and so forth. The way I look at regulation right now, I don't think there's a real danger in curbing innovation. And I think within the manufacturing space, we'll have a lot of innovation that will actually be enabled by not just the more traditional AI technologies, but also by this new wave of generative AI technologies that we're seeing today. You spoke at the beginning of our conversation about people. You know, the most of this conversation has been about technology, but you did mention that we are facing a talent crunch. Uh, I'm wondering to what extent, if we no longer need as many people to do kind of, I hate to use the word mindless, but let's say repetitive tasks on an assembly line or in a distribution center, we certainly do need a type of person who is much more tech-savvy and can adjust to this new world of AI and automation within facilities. Where are we going to get those people, Artem, especially here in the United States? Is there a shortage of them, and how can we solve that? What's interesting is that a lot of talk about automation has traditionally been we're going to replace these blue-collar jobs. right? And a lot of people, we won't need as many people in the assembly line and so forth. And, and that's partially true. But what we've seen is that, let's say, the cost of maintaining a machine or operating a machine has not been really dramatically reduced over the last 20, 30 years. But the cost of performing certain knowledge-based tasks or engineering tasks have been. Looking through a document and summarizing it, something that would take an hour previously takes less than a second today. Or coming up with a plan based on a lot of knowledge on what to do specifically, that draft might take hours for an engineer, but today that could be done actually very effectively and generated, and in most cases quite accurately. So we've seen the cost of doing the white color, some of the engineering jobs drop much more dramatically than the blue color jobs. What does that mean? It could either mean that we're replacing all the engineers, but that's not the case. It just means that we're going to scale the engineering white-collar jobs a lot more rapidly. So, yes, we will have a labor shortage of strong engineering talent, for sure, and also uh, you know, maintenance or operations talent. But I think that what this actually you know, AI actually enables us to do is to make those people within the, those engineering roles 10 times more productive, especially around tasks that used to be costly that today have dropped to a hundredth of the previous cost. That is exciting. And you will have less engineers do maybe five or 10 times more than they did previously. And you also have companies that lack engineering talent, maybe smaller or medium-sized enterprises that previously thought they could not compete with other manufacturers that have a lot of engineers, now have an advantage, have an edge. And that, to me, from a historical perspective, is just really fertile ground for a tremendous amount of innovation. Mm-hmm. Is when you reduce the cost of knowledge-based tasks and you have a scarcity of, of talent, there's a lot of innovation that happens in that space. Artem Krupanev of Augury, I want to thank you so much for joining me here to talk about what is necessary to make the U.S. factory boom happen, both from a technology and a human standpoint. Thanks very much for being with me today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. That was my conversation with Artem Krupanev of Augury, talking about AI and the resurgence of American manufacturing. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. 
You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter or X at SCBrain. And also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well. See you next time.